We finished the book of Titus in our last evening service, and we're going to spend one night in Revelation chapter 7. So I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 7. We're going to read the whole chapter. It's good to hear God's word as he speaks to us through it. It's a beautiful passage for us. So let me read that out. College Church, hear God's word. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed, 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 from the tribe of Gad. 12,000 from the tribe of Asher, 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is God's word. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we come to your word tonight. We thank you for this book. 
the book of the Bible and this book of Revelation and even this chapter here, I pray that you would use it to teach us and to encourage us and to help us and that you would fix our eyes upon you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, to borrow from Stevie Wonder, I've titled this sermon, Signed, Sealed, Delivered, We're His. (laughs) Uh, A friend in, in ministry who was in ministry for a few decades, he once shared some practical wisdom with with me and a few other colleagues. And he was talking about how life can be full of discouragement and difficulties, often hardships and and headaches. And on those difficult days, he said that he would grab this, this box that was on one of his shelves in his office that were full of all kinds of notes and letters from friends, from congregants who were writing uh, notes of encouragement to him, biblical encouragement to him over the years. This pastor would, would read through them. And as he read through these promises, these notes, these words, it would give him fresh encouragement to keep on going in the ministry, fresh wind in his sails, words that kept him going. Well, tonight in God's kindness, God has given his church and even us something very, very similar, but it comes to us in the form of a picture. Instead of a box to take off the shelf and open up, we actually have pictures that we need to put on the walls of our church and of our homes and of our offices. And these pictures serve the same function for the wearied and the worn down and the discouraged and the troubled people On those difficult days, we have two pictures that we need to gaze upon. And as we gaze upon, they're intended to give us fresh wind in our own sails to keep on going as we follow Christ in this world. Tonight, we have two pictures from God through the Apostle John for the church. And it's intended to grab our vision. Two pictures from two different angles showing us where things are headed For the people of God. But first, before we dive into, we have to ask, why are these pictures here? Look at the end of chapter six with me. You see, chapter six, it gives us this heavenly perspective of Jesus ruling over all of history with time ticking down actually to the final judgment. You see, judgment is unfolding as these seals are being broken and it's escalating in chapter six to a picture of the final judgment. And it says in verse 15, it says this, Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Who can stand? That's the question tonight. Will anyone escape that day and actually stand for eternity? Revelation 7 is coming off that question and is wanting to answer it in this way. God will cause his church to stand. (laughs) Revelation 7 is here to tell us tonight that God will cause his church to stand. 
See, John was, was writing to Christians who were tempted to turn away from Jesus, potentially compromising on their faith. And so he writes to spur them on to continue. And we too here in Wheaton, Illinois, we face the same temptations. These pictures for us, two pictures are meant to give us confidence in the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. But it wasn't just temptation to compromise. There was also the danger of complacency for those Christians, just as there's the danger of complacency for us in our day. I wonder if you sit here complacent tonight and you're confused about your own purpose. These two pictures are are intended to bring clarity for us on our mission in our life now. There's confidence for us in these pictures. There's clarity for us in these pictures on what our mission is. But John also wrote to Christians who are just facing trials and suffering and persecution of all different shapes and sizes. You see, John himself was in prison. There was great tribulation and the church was just flat out weary. You might sit here tonight with a weary soul, with heaviness on your heart. These pictures are not only to give us confidence, not only to give us clarity on what we're called to do, they're also very simply to comfort our souls for where things are headed for us if you are in Jesus. So two pictures for the tempted, for the wearied, for the downtrodden to give us confidence and clarity and comfort. So what are these two pictures? The first picture is a picture of this, the whole family. It's a picture of the whole family for us in verses 1 to 8. The whole family will stand on that day. Look at verses 1 to 8 again with me. It's this vision, this picture, these four angels that are standing on the four corners of the earth. They're holding back the four winds. And at the command of another angel is telling them, not to harm anything on the earth or the sea or the trees. You see these four corners, it's depicting the entirety of the earth. And the four winds are the final judgment that is still yet to come, but it's being restrained. Why? Why is this wind of judgment being restrained? It's because God is still sealing his own, his people. The final judgment has not yet come because God is sealing his family. So what does it mean to be sealed by God? Well, the ancient kings, they had a a signet ring with a seal that provided a mark that gave a symbol of ownership or belonging. So when one was sealed, they now belong. (laughs) And John fleshes out this idea later in Revelation chapter 14. You don't need to turn there. You can just listen as I explain. He mentions this same number, 144,000, And they have the name of the Father and the name of the Son symbolically signed on their foreheads. And in Revelation 7, it says they've been sealed on their foreheads. So what is this seal? It's it's the name of God, the Father, and of His Son written on the foreheads of God's people. And other texts in in the Bible, like Ephesians chapter 1, it helps us understand what this sealing is. The sealing of the Holy Spirit, that as people believe the gospel and receive the message of Jesus Christ, God seals them with the presence of his Holy Spirit and will keep them. It's a down payment of the inheritance that we will one day receive. You see, we are sealed by God. God is sealing his family as we believe 
the gospel. He's signing his name on their foreheads. He's setting us apart from the rest of the world that we authentically belong to him. And if you are sealed, if we are sealed here tonight by God, as we believe the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit, God promises protection for our souls. More simply, God seals his family. Why? So that we will stand in eternity. I had a seminary professor who once shared a story about his friend who uh, grew up with a mother who was a prostitute. It was not a healthy situation for this young little boy, and he ended up to go live with his, his grandfather. And one day, as he was with his grandfather at the store, uh, his grandfather was getting some groceries. He decides to grab a candy bar for himself and put it in his pocket. And then he goes to the car with his grandpa, opens it up, and starts eating it. His grandpa looks at him says, where did you get that? He was caught. He had stolen this, this candy bar. So the grandpa takes him in. He pays for it. And he drives him home. It's quiet in the car. And this, this child is sitting there in the front seat thinking, surely I have done it. Surely that is the last straw. I'm, I'm being sent away. He gets home and this grandpa takes this little boy, puts him on the bed, and he looks him right in the eyes and he says, you belong to me now. You don't have to live that way any longer. And he gets down and he goes and he plays. It's as if this, this grandfather had, had, in essence, signed his name on his forehead saying, you belong to me. You're mine now. You're a part of this family and you're in this house and you are here to stay and you are here to stand. See, God seals his people and assures them and protects them now and into eternity so that one day they will stand before his throne and see him face to face. I wonder tonight if you have a frail and fearful faith. You're wondering if you're going to endure in these potentially tough days. Well, know this. If you've believed the gospel, your heavenly Father has sealed you. You belong to Him. And you are here to stay. And you will one day stand. God promises to protect His own. We're His. We are His. This protected family by God who's sealed, it's also a complete family. It's a complete family. John hears a number of those who are sealed, 144,000, 12 tribes, 12,000 from each tribe. Well, how are we to understand this number? There's certainly many different interpretations of that. So let's, let's just think through that carefully here. Well, first, we're in a particular genre called apocalyptic literature, and that's dominated by symbolic imagery, which includes numbers. And so imagery and numbers are often representing something that's intended to be taken figuratively. That's just how the genre works. And in Revelation, John is often filling out ideas or images later in his, in his book, and so I mentioned Revelation chapter 14, the same number is, is mentioned. And it's talking about the redeemed that in the book of Revelation is actually a depiction of people from all kinds of different tribes and nations and languages and tongues. The redeemed people of God that are depicted in Revelation chapter 14. But particularly in this book, there's often this, 
this inner working where, where John is hearing something and then he sees something and what he's hearing and what he's seeing are connected. So for instance, in John chapter five, uh, Dr. Greg Beal mentions this as a helpful image is that, that John is, is hearing about the lion of Judah and he turns and he sees a lamb that was slain. What he hears is, is interpreted and connected to what he sees. And so to hear, he is hearing this number. And if you look at verse 9, what does he turn and what does he see? He sees a great multitude that no one can number from every nation and from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne. What is John communicating? He's saying that those who are sealed are the redeemed by God. They're the true Israel of God, the family of God throughout all time. You see, these are symbolic numbers representing completeness, representing fullness, the fullness of the family of God. All who are truly his will be there in eternity. He knows every one. If you've believed the gospel, God numbers you as part of his family. The whole family will stand with him for eternity. And right there at the top, there's a lot we could mention about these names, but the first one is Judah. Not the firstborn, but Jesus came from the line of Judah. Jesus, the king of God's people. So we have this whole family under the leadership of King Jesus and the people whose allegiance is to him and to him alone. All who belong to him will be there. This complete family, this protected family. It's a great picture for us. So what are some takeaways as we think about this here? Well, first, God wants his family to rest assured of their standing with him now and the promise of standing with him then. So are you a part of the family? Have you believed the gospel? Well, God wants you to walk out these doors with confidence and with assurance that you are his and that he is keeping you now and into eternity so that you will stand with him. It's not only that God is wanting us to walk away with with assurance, he's also wanting us to to have clarity of what he has called us to do. Again, remember this, this picture of the four winds of judgment. They're being held back. Why are they being held back? God is still sealing his family. So you could imagine it this way. Things, the judgment is being held back so that the gospel could be held out to the world. There's still time for God's family to be sealed. The number is not yet in its completion yet. One day it will be. And so judgment has not yet come because we're called to hold out the gospel for those who do not yet know it. The judgment being held back. So tomorrow when we wake up, if Christ has not yet come back yet, the winds of judgment are being held back at least one more day so that the word of the gospel can be held out to those that are in our own circles and spheres. God wants to give us confidence that we are his and he is keeping us. And God wants to give us clarity that he is still sealing his family as they believe the gospel And so we must hold out that gospel to those that are around us until Jesus comes again. It's a picture of the whole family, protected, complete. But the second picture in the second half of our passage is this picture of a washed multitude. A washed multitude. 
In 2016, Cubs fans, they flooded Chicago after a long-awaited World Series win. And it was a celebration of all kinds of people flying the W flag, and it was recorded as the seventh largest gathering of people in human history, around five million people. Go Cubs, go, unless you're John Seward. Go White Sox. (laughs) Well, the 2016 celebration, it cannot even compare to what is awaiting us in eternity. This great multitude around the throne of God, not, not waving the W flag, but waving this flag of salvation that belongs to the Lamb. A great multitude that no one can number. This multitude in eternal worship of the living God. And what are they doing? They're standing before the throne. They're standing. They're not only a protected and complete people, as we saw in the first eight verses, but but they are a, a group of people that no one can truly count. And if we went back to the end of chapter six, where it described people who did not turn to God in repentance, it described them in this way, where they said, hide us from the face of him who was seated on the throne. But those who have been washed by the blood of Jesus, they're gonna stand before his throne. And they're going to look at his face and they're going to worship him for all eternity and say salvation belongs to our God. What a scene. What a scene. And it's a multitude of people from all different nations, all kinds of people, different tribes, different peoples, different languages. And here we see God's heart on display where he is drawing the nations to himself where he made this promise all the way back in Abraham, where through him and through his seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And here we have the culmination of all that God has planned, drawing all kinds of people to himself from all nations. And they're washed by the blood of Jesus, verse 13 tells us. They're clothed in white robes and they've washed their robes in the blood of the lamb, fully forgiven, fully cleansed fully pardoned, fully pure. That's the power of Christ in his death and resurrection. It is a purifying power and it's righteousness that will clothe God's people for all eternity. His blood for our cleansing and washing. It is a washed multitude. And what's at the center of all of this gathering? It's God on his throne and the lamb receiving this eternal worship. This, my friends, is where things are headed for the people of God. This is what awaits us as God's people. But while we wait to stand in eternal worship, then this future picture must shape our present life now. So here's three questions just to help us reflect for a moment on this picture, this vision from John. First, what is at the center of college church now? You see, then it's the eternal worship of God and the Lamb. They will be at the center of everything. So now, while we wait, college church, our life, our worship, our relationships must be centered on and oriented around God and His throne. 
So in our corporate worship, every Sunday, in the morning, in the evening, God at the center. In our adult communities, when you gather in your communities, God at the center. When we get together in our small groups with one another, God at the center of our small groups. When we're gathered around the table with our families and these little ones that are there, God at the center of our tables. What is going to be at the center then? The throne. So what should be at the center now of this church? God at the center. But second question, what song is this church singing? You see, then God's people are going to sing, salvation belongs to God and to the Lamb. So metaphorically, what song are we singing now? Is that what is coming off of our lips is that what is reflected in our lives? That, that this community here is, is hearing that message. Salvation belongs to our God and no one else. That's what we're going to be singing then. And so we're called to align our voices and our speech and our lives right in that same direction. Salvation belongs to our God and no one else. What's at the center of this church? What song is being sung by this church? We need to sing it. We need to share it. We need to live it out. So what are we singing? But the third question, who are we gathering with for a life of worship now? Think about it then. Who will we gather with? A multitude from all nations, (laughs) full of all kinds of people. And they're going to gather with white robes in a united voice, all washed by the blood of Jesus. So college church, while we wait for that day, may all kinds of people in this community be welcomed into this place to join us in the worship of God. Is God's heart not for all kinds of people to trust in the gospel, to enter into this multitude, regardless of economic status, regardless of ethnicity, or race, or family background. The Bible casts this vision for us. All kinds of people gathering in unity to worship and follow Jesus. We are called to put God's heart on display now. So College Church, while we wait for that day, may God's heart for the nations be on display today. And not only in our community, it is from all nations and all peoples. This church has been known for sending missionaries out to the nations. There still remain thousands of unreached people groups in this world. Millions who do not know the name of Jesus Christ. If there's going to be a gathering from all kinds of nations and languages and peoples, may this church, may we continue to invest ourselves in sending and resourcing and coming alongside the global mission So that there are people who are going to join that multitude then. All kinds of people. We need a new wave of missionaries to be sent out from College Church. Not holding on to the past. A new wave of missionaries. And a new wave of people who are giving themselves financially and in their prayers. So that this gospel can go to all nations. Who are we gathering with for a life of worship? Well, this is eternal worship that is on display in this picture, but we're going to end with 
this last word on eternal comfort. Verses 15 to 17. It's a washed multitude singing the song of salvation, offering eternal worship, but it ends with this picture of eternal comfort. They're washed by the blood of Jesus, but they continue for all eternity to be comforted by Him. We will stand with Him, with His sheltering and shepherding presence, meeting our needs and fulfilling our desires. We will serve Him day and night. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Then, that day that awaits us, suffering, gone. Days of lack, gone. Days of hardship that we face, gone. The days of chaos, gone. The tears that you cry, gone. The suffering and the brokenness that you face in life as we know it right now will be no more. We will have eternal comfort in the very presence of God and we'll be guided by the great shepherd and sheltered. I know as I've thought about this this sermon that so many of you sit under the, the weight of loss and chronic pain and confusion, cancer, depression, anxiety, relational discord, spiritual pressure, marriage conflict, and more. And though you sit in that situation, you sit in that mess, that difficulty right now, if you've been washed by the blood of Jesus, one day you're going to stand You're going to stand in the very presence of Jesus and experience his eternal shepherding. All things will be made new. Jesus is waiting to welcome us (laughs) into his very presence. And while, while we wait for that day, it's not just that we grit ourselves through this. Jesus himself is going to be with us even now. Though our outer selves are wasting away, our inner selves are being renewed day by day by the very presence of God. Paul says these words, for as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Future comfort awaits, and while we wait, the great shepherd is still with us, comforting us along the way. It's a washed multitude, one day standing, offering eternal worship, receiving eternal comfort in his very presence you know john lennon he attempted in song to capture the longings of his heart and many others here's what he wrote he says imagine there's no heaven it's easy if you try no hell below above us only sky imagine there's no countries it isn't hard to do nothing to kill or die for and no religion to imagine all the people living life in peace You may say, I'm a dreamer. I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. You know, longings for the absence of conflict, for peace and unity and things to be made right, these are very good 
longings. But there is no hope if there is no Jesus. Our world, our neighbors, all of us long for things to be made right. And the church has the only hope. God seals and God protects all who believe the gospel. God washes and God cleanses all who trust in Jesus Christ. And one day we will stand before God, if that is true of you, all of your longings met, all of your pain gone, all of your tears removed, death will be no more, eternal worship, eternal comfort. Signed, sealed, delivered, we're His. We are His. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your great promises, these pictures for us. Lord, I pray that we would look to them again and again and they would fill us with hope for the future and strength for the present and that you would help us to know that you have sealed us as we have trusted in your Son and that you will protect us and we long for and look forward for that day when one day we will see you face to face and experience life with you for all eternity. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.